Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of The Museum, where I am joined by artist Everett Barbie, um, who is an Arabic calligrapher. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast on platforms like Apple or Spotify, you may want to check out my YouTube channel, the Professor Wingert channel, where I host a video version of the podcast, because this episode will be featuring a lot of the artist's calligraphy that you'll be able to see, um, and it's worth checking out. If you are listening on Apple, go ahead and remember to leave a five-star rating and a comment. That certainly helps circulate the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and go ahead and like, comment, and share the videos. I think you're going to enjoy this one. I certainly did. Been affiliated, not affiliated. Um, I've been exposed to your work for what's probably six years now, and um, I think you've been you've been living in Lebanon since what was it, two thousand seven? Well, in two thousand nine is when I first went to Syria. That's when my university sent me there for study abroad. But been living in Lebanon for yeah, just over a decade now. It'll be eleven years in August. Very cool. I was there about a decade ago. Um, you got to see the uh, the caverns, you know, at um, Jaita. Jaita, yeah, exactly. Oh wow. Yeah, those are amazing. Uh, they've got some some nice caverns, you know, in the U.S. But I like I wasn't expecting them to be so large, and so oh really cavernous, yeah. right? And um, I yeah. don't know. If, have you been underneath, like in the in the waterway? Oh yeah, we take the little boats down there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I've been familiar with your work now for a while and I used it in a lecture on religion and the development of written script, right? Because okay, whether it's cult practice, whether it's um, you know maybe the tenets of certain religions, like whatever the focus is, has, has some kind of implication for how people communicate themselves when they're not speaking anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's textually. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, looking at Arabic text, um, you know, that developed its own world uh, at a certain point, you know, reaction to iconoclasm and things like this, you, you the human impulse to create is still there and they, mm-hmm. you know, to, to generate art um, is still there. And we, we have these magnificent pieces let me just ask you, you know, you mentioned being a student, you're studying Arabic at the time. Like, how'd you get into, mm-hmm. like, were you an artist before you were a calligrapher, before you studied Arabic? How was that? Well, I mean, I always loved art and in, in school. It was always my favorite subject. Uh, but, I, you know, I was always of that belief, you know, you can't make any money as an artist. You're just going to be a starving artist. Uh, so I did business at university. Um, and the Arabic was almost a fluke. I mean, Edinburgh offered international business with a language and of, of the languages they offered Arabic was the one that I figured I couldn't just learn online uh, and uh, so yeah it was almost just a, a fluke really um, and then they sent me to Syria and that's when I it was actually just a, a girl I had a crush on back then that she wanted to do calligraphy lessons and so I thought okay I'll try it out and uh, yeah and then I stuck with it and I got fired from my bar job in the UK and so I started putting these pictures online that I've been making and it has been the only job I've had for since 2010. Yeah. A lot of people can't say that, right? You know, starving or yeah. otherwise, uh, but to, to have it as, as the only job. And, um, you know, I, I really sympathize with that story too, because, you know, when you go to university uh, and you have the opportunity to learn language, you can either check it off the list and do Spanish <laughs> or something yeah. that you did in high school, right? You know, I just picked Spanish because it's the common one for Americans. But, um, or, or you can say, wow, look at all these other things I have the opportunity to take, you know, and same with me. I, I ended up taking a bunch of weird languages in undergrad just because they were there and I, yeah. I wouldn't be able to take them otherwise, you know? So uh, I, re- I really relate to that. Um, but when it comes to calligraphy, 
especially Arabic calligraphy. You studied with someone in Syria, is that right? Uh, well, my, my teacher in Damascus, there's a gentleman named Adnan Farid, um, and he's more of a, I don't want to say he teaches tourists, but uh, I mean, he's like, compared to like these guys in, in Turkey, where um, I'd say of the top 100 calligraphers in the world, probably 80 of them uh, teach in Turkey. Uh, and one thing that, I mean, I, and it's, I mean, I shouldn't, I mean, he's an excellent teacher and he's, uh, I mean, very good at what he does, but, uh, you know, part of the real, you know, student teacher tradition or, uh, is that most calligraphers, if it's a, if it's a true calligrapher teaching a genuine student, they won't take money. Um, it's kind of, they'll, um, so I, ha I mean, I have teachers in Istanbul that I'll visit and, um, I have one teacher here who's Syrian, uh, Fadi Uwayed, uh, and, you know, I know, like, he'll take money from certain people, and I've, I've tried to pay him a bunch of times for lessons, but um, part of the, the deep tradition of calligraphy is that, you know, every calligrapher is taught his trade, um, you know, every calligrapher is expected to teach a certain number of hours a week for free, because he learned his, tra his craft for free. Uh, and so sometimes you'll have calligraphers that'll go and, you know, an apprentice might, you know, clean their master's house while they, while they're taking lessons or that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if it's, I mean, I say that he teaches to tourists in the, in the sense that he'll, he'll take money for the teaching, um, which, I mean, as a tourist, I was very happy to have. Um, but then these, these guys from Irsika and, and Istanbul, when I was telling them, okay, my teacher Adnan, you know, they they say, oh, he was taking money. That's not a real, uh, you know, they, they kind of look down on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, these these guys in Istanbul um, at Irsika, like one of my teachers there, a friend of mine, you know, they all have these, what they call an ijaza. Uh, and I haven't even earned my ijaza yet. I mean, I'm still maybe a year or two away from that. Um, but, you know, they have these, and it's basically like a permit. So it's once you reach a certain level or once you've produced a perfect uh, mashik or workbook, um, you're, you're permitted to teach. Um, and on your ijazah, it'll have the, the isnad or the chain of uh, the silsila, like of all the teachers. So it'll say, you know, Zaki was taught by, uh, you know, Hassan Jalabi, who was taught by Muhammad Aitach, who was taught by... And, and these names will go back in a continuous unbroken chain uh, all the way back to Ibn Mukla, uh, who lived in like 9th century Baghdad, like Abbasid uh, Baghdad. Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, it's this huge continuous unbroken chain, uh, but at the same time, it's also evolving. So, Irsika is this, it's kind of the governing body of calligraphy these days, um, based in Istanbul, because they, they still have all the old libraries and collections uh you know from the old ottoman empire and um and so and they'll hold these competitions every year um and so they'll have a competition in every particular script or the at least the classic scripts um and you'll notice like there's there's an evolution i mean the, the evolution is still continuing so uh and you'll even have a debate amongst calligraphers um you know they'll say okay hassan jalabi thinks the wow should should finish slightly higher than, than what, uh, you know, Muhammad Aitach's school teaches, and then, and eventually one of these versions will die out. I mean, whatever becomes the accepted, um, and, and so I mean, it's they'll each, all these calligraphers will produce the same text for these competitions. So you'll have maybe two hundred calligraphers, you know, just in Jelly Diwani, they'll all be producing the same exact words, and so and they have choice in how you arrange it. Um, as long as you follow these rules, but uh, but what's fascinating to me is that it's it's extremely codified and they're very scientific about the way they they view calligraphy. It's more of a science than an art in a way, um, but it, it's still evolving. So I mean, you'll I mean even just if you look at the the winners plates from you know 2011 versus the winners plates from 2020, um, I mean you'll see a, a a really genuine evolution of the script. I mean, it, it they'll get more and more perfect every year. Um, and I'm actually, I mean, I've, I've been doing this 10 years and I'm not, um, I mean, I was at this 
calligraphy festival in Algeria, that which involves one of these competitions, uh, wasn't sponsored by Irsica. And you know, but all the pieces are hung up, and everyone's saying, you know, which is the best piece, and who's going to win, kind of thing. And about fifty, about half the calligraphers that I was talking to about this, they all pointed to this one guy's piece, and they said, no, this is definitely the winner. Uh, and they all knew before it was called that, like, oh, he's clearly superior to the others. Uh, and I still couldn't figure out why. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm looking, at, I'm like, what is the um, and, and again, that was Thuluth, which is not a script I'm uh, proficient in. I mean, my, all my work is in uh, Jelly Diwani or Rukka Diwani, uh, which is like very juvenile for the, for the traditional scripts. It's only like 500 years old. Uh, whereas the Nasak and Thuluth, they go back, you know, at least 1,500 or at least 1,000 years that they've been in this shape, roughly. Uh, but yeah, some, I mean, that, yeah, there's just so much details, particularly in Thuluth and Nasek. I mean, it has to be exact. Um, I mean, they've identified these perfect proportions. Uh, and a lot of it's based on the same aesthetics that uh, the Greeks identified. Like, I mean, you can pretty much find phi or the golden ratio um, okay. in almost every curve of every letter. Um, I mean, if, and I've seen these calligraphers that, I mean, they have these compasses you know, with a three-legged compass that automatically moves to phi, and you can pretty much put that anywhere on a piece, and the, the other leg is going to land right at the edge of one letter or another, uh, if it's a good calligrapher, at least. I know proportionality is a big deal in Arabic calligraphy. Like, it's sort of, if I understood, one of the, the key components, I think, to it. Do you think, or is there a different set of rules for different scripts? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so it's all based on this, like nizam on the qat, or like the system of points. Uh, and so it's, I mean, so each pen has a flat edge, obviously, for traditional calligraphy. Uh, and so you'll, you know, the, the first letter you'll typically write will be the alif. Um, and so this will have a set height in most of the scripts. Um, so in Thuloth, you know, the alif will be, I think it's, don't quote me on this, but I think it's seven nukat high um, and roughly one nukat and a half wide. Uh, but actually, it's not a perfectly vertical alif either. I mean, it tilts slightly to the side. So all of this is exactly identified. Um, and it's called thuluth because most letters are a third of the height of the alif. Uh, whereas in Diwani, the script I use uh, is lends itself much better for these visual images because it has a bit more flexibility in the, and there's these kind of flowery em embellishments uh, that are added to it. Um, and the Ottomans actually used this as a form of encryption or uh, verific uh, to authenticate documents so that the scribes would actually include all these, uh, not really exceptions to the rule, but like, you know, if you have three ways of writing the ba or the three sizes of the ba, you know, like the the second ba would always be a certain size in this text. So, so the a scribe in any particular province that knew these exact, not just the overall visual rules, but knew the the internal rules, they could verify. Okay, this was a fake letter that somebody wrote, but it's not actually from the sultan. And uh, and so that for me that was very fascinating. That I mean, and it's they've kind of overcomplicated it in a way. Uh, or over embellished it, uh, and and the script I use is also is not typically used for writing Quran, although it I mean it, they do use it to write Quran, um, but it's not as perfectly legible. I mean because it has so many embellishments, like you like you know if you're reading Nasakh or Thuluth, you can read it very easily straight through. There's no ambiguity. Um, whereas Diwani, I mean they it means Diwan like the from the Ottoman court. Uh, so a lot of it was like land grants and uh, like a buddy of mine, he's like his house here in Lebanon, they have this, you know, 250 year old house where the, their deed is actually, the whole deed is written in, in Diwani and at the top they have the, the traditional sword shape with the jelly Diwani and then underneath it everything else is written in Rukka Diwani. Um, but I mean that was their, it was a legal document. Um, and then. 
Yeah, so it's, it's more of a bureaucratic script than, than a religious script, although, I mean, they're all used in a religious context as well. You know, I, I, I think when a lot of people, um, well, you know, I shouldn't even say a lot of people, when looking at Arabic calligraphy, sometimes the, the text is obvious, you know, and yeah. other times I'm like, uh, what am I reading here? You know, and yeah, is it meant to always be, you know, uh, should we always be able to read it? Right. Or does well, the art supersede the, you know, like the textual content? So, for, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm very strict and, and that, you know, I want to, I want to make sure it's a authentic text that's there and that I don't make any grammar mistakes. Um, and there's a way, you know, like sometimes I'll hold up a, a piece of paper next to the piece and you can kind of or like any vertical shape and if you if you move that along the line the the first le like edge of the letter that hits that shape you can you can follow that strict order and you can sound it out but uh, but yeah even sometimes people ask me you know what does this piece say and I'll, I'll tell them the English translation but then they're like yeah can you read it and I'll I mean it'll take me a minute because I mean I'm Typically, when I'll write, I'll write in Fusa, and I'll write, you know, I'll use somebody else's translation, uh, and my Arabic's not fluent by any means. So, I mean, I'm like, I'll get lost trying to read my own pieces sometimes. Uh, what was yeah, I mean, I know what's written there, but you know, it's like, you know, which, which way did they say, you know, which verb for take did they use, or you know, there's, you know, you have a huge vocabulary. There's options, so I'm trying to like, and it's it's hard to tell. Especially if it's a visual image, you know, if I'm drawing the shape of a horse or something, I can't follow those rules because, you know, you can't just go along a straight line with a ruler because you don't know, okay, where is your, how do you actually follow it? So, uh, yeah, I was like, I was presenting a piece to, uh, like, for the U.S. consul in Dubai to like the to royal family and the guys, you know. The U.S. consul's like, here, yeah, no, read it out to him. What does it say? And I, I get like halfway through it. And I'm like, yeah, I can't actually remember what was written. <laughs> I mean, it's all there, but it, yeah. And uh, whereas like my my buddy Fayez that used to work with me, uh, yeah, he was raised Muslim. So he's, you know, half the Quran he's memorized. And so a lot of times when somebody says, you know, can you read this? And he, he'll, he'll kind of know where he is basically, but he's, reciting more from memory than actual um you know than actually seeing each word and he'll kind of and i think that's a, it's like that for a lot of i mean even a lot of traditional calligraphers or native speakers they'll you know, they'll kind of puzzle over it for a few minutes until until they recognize a few words and then then the full meaning will come but but it's also you know typically that's because it's a text that's you know, it's a prayer that's repeated often, or it's a verse that everyone knows. And so, in some way, it's like the more complicated you make it, you can show off your knowledge of, of your theological knowledge, because you can, okay, you, you recognize this text out of this image. Uh, whereas if, for mine, what I'll typically do is if, especially if it's a complex visual image, I'll always try to have the text written in simple Diwani underneath it. So at least that's, you know, it's very legible if you want it to be. Um, but then, yeah, the, but I always make sure that the text is there. I mean, the, and there's no words repeated and there's no words left out um, unless the whole text is repeated. So sometimes it'll be a phrase that I'll repeat 20 times to fill a shape. Uh, but, you know, if it's a paragraph, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important to me that it's still calligraphy. I mean, I don't want to just be, I mean, there are a lot of calligraphers that'll just kind of draw shapes and then ascribe a meaning or they'll they'll have a few words and then fill it in with shapes that don't have meaning but uh for me it's i don't know if it's the ocd or just i've set these rules for myself kind of i don't, I don't want to go too far from the tradition i mean obviously with the visual images i'm breaking out of that to some extent but i may maybe it's arbitrary how i break these rules but i i try not to I mean, at the end of the day, the meaning of the text is the most important. So yeah, it's I don't text. Want to grammatically, go outside that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you could, it could participate in a, a different, um, you know, form, if 
you just want to do a, a design or an image or something. Uh, but, you know, this is calligraphy. It's the graphy. You know, it's the text that's um, central, you know, to, to the process. I think, you know, the, um, the legibilities and, you know, it's, a, it's tough when you, like, we don't have this tradition in, um, in European languages. We have, we have manuscripts that are calligraphic. We have things like the Book of Kells, you know, we have like yeah. our own illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, illu exactly. Illuminated manuscripts. And we have beautiful cal calligraphic writing. There's a tradition of calligraphy, but it's not the same where you have, you know, a lineage, you know, going back to the mm -hmm. Abbasid period where that's the major art form, you know, that yeah. and geometric design, I think, are the two um, you know, the, the legacy of art in the Islamic world, right? You know, where you've got yeah. these, the impulse to create in an aniconic environment. We have text, mm -hmm. you know, um, in East Asian texts like Chinese and Japanese, Shiji and Japanese, you know, Japanese calligraphy. It's its own, or I mean, same as Chinese for that matter, but the, it has its own sort of set of principles and rules. But what we see with Arabic is, it's become its own thing. And I think that one reason why we don't have, um, you, you know, we don't have the English language, let's say, um, posed yeah. and formed in the way that you might design it with Arabic letters or the way that any Arabic calligrapher might. To that point, you're a little different, I think, than a lot of the other Arabic calligraphers I've seen um, who maybe you know, the, the, the movement, if I can call it that, uh, the harakat of the text itself becomes its own piece of art. Whereas, you know, you might form words that could be interpreted as an elephant, as the yeah. Beatles, you know, as John Travolta, yeah. Yeah. right? Like as a, a number of things, um, you know, in your case, like, are there, you know, a number of artists who, who take that approach? And, you know, I've seen other like forms of animals and things, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, generally living forms aren't celebrated or, I mean, historically, right. Like in that part of the world. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I've asked a couple, um, especially at some of these calligraphy conventions. I mean, you, you meet a lot of very conservative, you know, sheikhs or, uh, and so I've asked a few of them, you know, is this, am I, you know, am I doing something offensive or is this going across the line? And, and they talk about a lot of these regulations they have on, on iconoclasm is, you know, you know, they don't want to end up with, you know, a pasty white Jesus or, you know, they, you know, cause anyone kind of draws the, you know, if you're going to draw an image of Jesus, you're going to draw him like a person, you know, and, yeah. and so, I mean, for them, it was like, I mean, I did one Quranic surah with this, Surah Al-Fil, the elephant, and it's in the shape of an elephant. Um, and, and so I, you know, I was asking him about this piece. I was like, you know, this is an animal. Is it offensive? Uh, or is this okay? Or, you know, should have I done a geometric shape? And, and he would say, well, it's not, you're not trying to say this is a particular kind of elephant. Or you're not saying, he's like, you know, from this image, you can't see if it's an Asian elephant or an African elephant. You've just taken the meaning, you know, the Quran says the elephant, you know, and it doesn't, and obviously no one thinks that there was some calligraphy elephant walking around, you know, so for them, it's the image, as long as it's abstracted to the point of uh, not beyond the, yeah, I mean, so, so you're not creating a new meaning, you know, you're not adding a, a meaning that wasn't there in the original Quran, for instance. Um, whereas I, I was recently asked to make this portrait of uh, Sheikh Ahmed Obamba, who is a uh, Sheikh of the Moorite Brotherhood in uh, West Africa. And but his photo was actually taken. And there's one photo that exists of this Sheikh. Um, and I was act asked by this um, Muslim artist group to produce this image for them. Uh, and again, that's, I think it's a similar issue of 
you know, it, it's an actual photograph of this man, and it and it's done with his poetry. So it's not, you know, I'm not imagining what, you know, I'm not imagining him as some Caucasian guy or some, you know, I'm trying to keep that image as, exactly as that photograph was or as close to that photograph as I can. Um, so I, I think a lot of this iconoclasm just comes from trying to avoid, you know, creating sex, you know, other, you know, like in Christianity, how we draw the different saints. Actually, you know, we now we have the Orthodox, which draw their icons in a certain way, and the Catholics will kind of draw it any way they want. And then, uh, you know, which over time, you know, part of that was political differences, which became religious. But I think also these cultural differences do over time become, uh, you know, a religious difference. Uh, and you see that a little bit between Sunni and Shia. And uh, I mean, the Shia are a bit more, uh, you know, they like to embellish a bit more and they're, you know, they're less strict with their iconoclasm than, especially, I mean, now that you look at the, you know, the ISIS flag, they won't even use traditional calligraphy because that's considered uh, an embellishment, you know, whereas, oh, wow. so, so they just, you know, that's why you have that, I mean, it looks like a two-year-old drew the Shahada on a black flag, you know, it's, okay. uh, but it's because they, they rejecting even, you know, even Thuluth is a form of, which is, you know, one of the most beautiful and perfect calligraphy scripts, in my opinion, but for them, that's, uh, I forget the word for it, but it, it's like an indulgence, you know, they're, they're kind of, yeah, I mean, it goes beyond what was given to you in the Quran. The Quran didn't specify you know, rules of calligraphy. So like you're interpreting God's will too deeply or, uh, I mean, I but yeah, it's, it's, you know, just an, infl uh, an embellishment that they disagree with. So, I mean, there are many levels of iconoclasm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, right. I think I levels is the issue. And one thing that I've loved about calligraphy and the, you know, Arabic calligraphy's response to iconoclasm is that, you know, in a way, it's like um, uh, tassography, right? Or, you know, when you turn the cup upside down and oh, yeah. you read, you know, mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Um, you, look, it's coffee grounds upside down. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, yeah. that's it. When you see a cloud in the sky, it's yeah. <laughs> like it's moisture in the atmosphere. You know, mm -hmm. full stop, yeah. right? <laughs> okay, but it is a dragon. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. It is a dragon. It is an elephant. Yeah. yeah I, I see what you mean, it, but it's yeah. just a cloud, right? Like in the end, mm -hmm. it's a cloud it, in the end. Calligraphy is text. It's, mm -hmm. it's artistic uses of text. And it's your fault. If you see an elephant yeah. in that, yeah. you know, like that's not an elephant. Elephants yeah. don't have those, you know, spaces in between where the mm -hmm. trunk, you know, might meet the forehead and things like that. And it, like, it just as a, a, you know, what would you call it? A loophole, right? Yeah. You know, that, I guess. Yeah, these are just words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pun intended with the loophole. But, you know, your stuff is, you know, I mean, I would say it, it's clearly um, you're inspired by something. And I and I wonder, you know, like, well, what motivate? like some things are obvious, right? You've done shapes of countries. I've seen Jordan you know, Syria, et cetera, et cetera. And those are really cool. Um, so the Tennessee flag, right? That's something we probably might not see, you know, uh, with Arabic calligraphy. You had that based on a song, is that right? Yeah, well, it's just the Tennessee state poem, actually. Um, so it's, oh, Tennessee, my Tennessee, It's uh, which and I never really, I mean, it wasn't a poem I was familiar with, but I was trying to find, you know, I was, so I did this flag series, um, you know, with the American flag with the Pledge of Allegiance and then, you know, the Lebanese flag with their national anthem. And and so, yeah, I mean, I was trying to find something that wasn't going to get political. I mean, if I pick Dolly Parton, then the Johnny Cash people are going to get upset. And if I, you know, it's like, you know, but okay, th this is our official state poem, so we'll just put that, yeah. Because, um, I, yeah, I just want it to be kind of, just generic Tennessee. I mean, uh, I didn't, yeah. And most of them, I mean, that's, I mean, why most of these maps are just the, the towns and cities on the map. I mean, there's not a, I mean, not that I'm a 
afraid of being political, but that, yeah, those pieces, that wasn't really the point. Uh, it was just to, you know, and also just that we, you know, a lot of these borders, especially in the Middle East, were just arbitrarily drawn by, you know, in the post-colonial era. So, I mean, it was literally Episode just... three of the museum, if you haven't listened yet. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I think I might have, actually. I'm trying to think which one that was. I listened to a bunch of them because I'm sitting here at the light box all day, so I just had them on in the background just uh, just try, try to get a feel for things, see what, uh, what it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, what what I wonder with you, do you start with like the image in mind or the text in mind, or does it depend on the project? Uh, yeah, it really depends on the project. Like sometimes I'll have an image that I really want to do um, that's stuck in my head, and so I'll find a text that fits that. Um, and I guess the Tennessee flag was kind of a case in point. It's like I needed, okay, what am I going to put in this flag? Um, whereas, you know, and I'd say probably about half of my work has actually been commissioned. Um, so, I mean, because I mean, it takes me a very long time to make a piece, so, but I'll usually, I'll take a commission and then I'll, I'll sell prints of that afterwards to kind of make back some of the time spent on the commission. Uh, so I'm not having to, you know, bill somebody hourly for an original piece. Um, and so, yeah, part of that is, you know, people will just come to me with a text and an image. Uh, and the, you know, the interesting part of it is, you know, they'll, they'll give me a, a content of the image, but they won't actually give me the a specific image. So it's trying to find a, an image that can still carry the words without getting too complicated. That'll still clearly present that idea to someone um, that's looking at it, uh, and it's funny you mentioned clouds and you know how pe what people see from it. But you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, what do you like oracles or uh, I mean, like you said, the, the tea leaves or the and and it's kind of the same concept of that. You know, and why like you know the Romans and the Greeks they place so much emphasis on you know what these royal chickens did, you know, and how they pecked at the food and. And I, and I think a lot of it was just filtering out options. I mean, it was like, okay, well, the, the chickens did this today, so that narrows our selection of choices down to these three choices. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it was so much about, they don't think the chickens actually knew something, but it was like, okay, at least we can whittle down our options. And, uh, and even like our wedding, you know, as part of the protocols, you know, a fiance's family, you know, they consult their astrologers and they gave us, a selection of dates, you know, they say, okay, it's, it's going to be one of these five dates, which one works, uh, which, you know, it kind of takes a lot of the pressure off. You just, okay, you know, we'll pick one of these, you know, it's, it's you know, and I, I feel like commissions, I've definitely pushed the boundaries of my art in a similar way. It's like, okay, they gave me this, you know, I got a certain amount of text and a certain idea that needs to be conveyed. So how do I find the image that works for that? So it, you know, it's, it's filtering out all the noise, basically. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of how I pick an image, if it's if it's not a commission, um, yeah, most of it's part of a series. So I've been working on a, a big series of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is like, uh, so that's 30 articles. Um, so I, each piece is, you know, I'm doing a piece for each, each article that tries to um, convey somewhere that, maybe where we've gone wrong or where we can improve or, uh, um, and then the, yeah, the map series and this flag series. Um, so I've done a series of American flags and then, um, and jihadist flags actually, but with American propaganda on it. And so it, it's kind of, you know, is it still an ISIS flag if it says God bless America on it? Or is it still, uh, is it still a Saudi flag if it says make America great again? Or, <laughs> so, uh, Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's cool. I, I love that tension. And, um, you know, that like that's something that I kind of I would expect from an artist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, bringing bringing up a specific conversation. Right. Like and, and ideally when well, maybe not ideally, but um, often and that's probably better to say often art, you know, wants to evoke that it wants to evoke you know, it maybe doesn't want to tell you everything, but maybe it wants you to start talking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, one, 
I mean, like dilemma I face a lot is, you know, if, if an artist really knows what he wants to say with a piece, then it almost becomes propaganda. Um, and so, you know, when I actually have a text that's, you know, shouting out to you out of the piece, it's like, you know, am I making, you know, where do I draw the line between propaganda and art? And, uh, but I think I do end up making a lot of propaganda. I mean, if, you know, if the U.S. Consul commissions a piece for the Emirati royal family while they're bombing a bunch of Yemenis and the text is about tolerance, then, you know, that's probably propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that checkbox, right? <laughs> it checks yeah. all the boxes. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly interesting like that. I, I know, you know, as an amateur calligrapher, you know, um, I've, what I've done in the few pieces I, I put together, gosh, it's been, a, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, similar boat, right? Like you gotta, you gotta eat. Uh, so I haven't yeah. done it in a while, but you know, one thing was a Christmas tree, you know, another thing was a cross and, um, yeah. then the question for me is, well, what, you know, what speaks to that, that yields like, or, or makes it, um, possible for me to yield such an image, you know, what sort of words do I, I, I speak into writing that, you know, yields or leads to an image like that. And, um, anyway, I, I, I've started with the image first, and I think that that's probably, um, that that's the case for some of them. The other ones that where I start with the text first, now that I think of it, um, I don't know that I can call it an image. Huh. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, like, I don't think it fit into anything. Um, I think it, it became its own sort of thing. People would call it tribal, but I, I think that's a, you know, that just means they don't know. Or, yeah. yeah. You know, they don't know how to speak about, Polynesian tattoos, so they call them tribal, and then that becomes yeah. its own genre after a certain point in time. And anything that has a, a sharp edge, you know, that you yeah. don't know what is it? Is it a thorn? Are those barbs? What are those? It's like that. It's that always sunny in Philadelphia episode when he he gets a tattoo and he's like, yeah, it's it's tribal, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. What tribe are you from? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it just shapes on your arm. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I can relate to that a little bit. I know some of your art is um, maybe, I think it's real normal for the Western world, but might be scandalous for different parts of the world. You know, like if you show a figure of a, a person, you know, um, a woman, let's say, is that, how's that received, you know, in a place like, I mean, Lebanon's cool. I would, or at least my experience with Lebanon, it's no one cares, but, you know, maybe different borders or different neighborhoods, even um, it's taken differently. How's that been for you? You know, I've always been surprised at how, you know, you know, we have this idea of the Middle East as this very conservative place. And, uh, and definitely when I was in Saudi, I was kind of afraid um, which pieces I could show there. Um, but, uh, I mean, for the most part, yeah, I mean, I've had, there's one, there's a couple of photographs I did where um, I drew some, some Jahiliya texts on, uh, on some uh, na naked women and, and calligraphy. And, uh, and then there's some other pieces where I did like a couple of Mark Twain quotes in calligraphy on a, on a girl's face. And, and, uh, and something about be like calligraphy being on skin uh, I had a lot of people get mad and they say, how dare you write the, the words of our Lord on, on human skin? And I was like, well, I mean, I like Mark Twain, but I didn't think he was your Lord. <laughs> uh, but the white beard is, is what, well, I think he was only white mustache now that I think about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's white mustache. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so it's, it's usually they'll, you know, they'll think I've done something, you know, they, they thought that was the Quran, So they got offended. Um, but, you know, typically, I mean, I'm not out to offend people. Um, and so, yeah, generally it's not been, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think in general, the Middle East is far more tolerant than, than we really like to believe. Um, oh, yeah. Not a, I mean, that's not necessarily true about Saudi Arabia, but um, I mean, outside of that, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, Syria, you can say what you want as long as you're not talking about the regime. Um, I mean, in Lebanon, you can you can really say what you want about anybody. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's I mean, it's kind of the same. You know, Egypt, you wouldn't complain about you know the government there, or Jordan, you wouldn't talk about the monarchy. But um, you know, there's a, there's a few red lines, but um, I mean, people in general are pretty tolerant and. And, you know, if, if there are the people that are going to be upset by a certain image, they're probably not the people that are going to go to an art exhibition anyway. Um, right, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I had kind of an interesting, so for that same, you know, when the U.S. Consul commissioned this piece for the uh, Dubai royal family, they, you know, I did a small exhibition in the ambassador's house, and so I, I sent him a bunch of these. He said, you know, what pieces do you want to show? We'll show whatever you want. And so I, I sent him, you know, I sent him a few pieces that I knew they'd like, like the American flag and stuff. And then I sent him a bunch of human rights. Uh, this piece is based on these, this UDHR. Um, and so one of them was a, a portrait of Raif Badawi, um, this gentleman who ran a blog in Saudi and then was locked up. I mean, way before MBS came on the scene, this guy was locked up and, um, he, I mean, I think his, Punishment is like 80 lashes or something, but like a lashing is actually like a, a visceral beating. And this is over a period of like 20, something like, I mean, he's been in there at least 10 years now, I think. Um, so I showed this image and then I had a uh, like a rainbow flag that says everyone's equal before the law. And, and a few of these other uh, pieces based on the UDHR, uh, which the U.S. Consul said, no, no, we don't. We don't really want those pieces. You can, you know, we'll take the American flag and the Statue of Liberty and this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we don't want the human rights pieces that, you know, or the rainbow flag, which, I mean, I was, I was kind of really miffed about the rainbow flag just because that's, I mean, I've got probably 200 different bottles of ink in that painting. I mean, it's one of the most vivid pieces I've done and most detailed. And, uh, and then uh, two years later, I did this exhibition in Beirut that was sponsored by uh, Khawla bin Sawadi, this uh, Emirati princess. And so she said, you know, which six pieces do you want to show? And I, I put that piece in and, and she didn't bat an eye. I mean, she, you know, so on the one hand, the U.S. consul doesn't have the balls to show it, but, yeah. you know, in, in Dubai, but then yet this Emirati princess, she's got the balls to show it in Beirut. Uh, and then actually she got in trouble for it from their, their own... Uh, like the charged affair and like they don't even have an ambassador here but they're uh there's like the charged affair of the embassy of the emirates and in beirut like insisted that that piece be pulled from the exhibition and then it was uh so she called to apologize she's like i really love this piece but they're making a fuss of like we'll set it aside and then and then one of her assistants or one of the girls was like kind of a fixer for the exhibition she's like yeah we just have to hide it while the the ambassador's here on the first night, but then we can bring it back out once he's... <laughs> so, I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, it's all this drama over, I mean, it's not, you know, two guys shagging on a Quran. It's just a rainbow that says everyone's equal before the law. Look, Noah um, is common to every tradition over there. And the rainbow yeah. first, you know, like it's a, yeah. it's a Noah tradition, right? And you can always just yeah. couch it under that and say, okay, well, this is like, you know, this is the common prophetic heritage. We'll put it over here and... Yeah. <laughs> see if they buy it or not right yeah yeah well it just i mean it really ticked me off that this is such a part of our foreign policy you know that yeah. you know we're promoting this all around the world but then i was like well why wouldn't you you can't even show it in the consul's residence you know like are we that like afraid or uh but it, it's kind of like you know we assume the worst about the others so it's yeah yeah, yeah middle eastern people are very normal I mean, you know, with the with several exceptions, but I think when you couch things in exceptions, you're like, okay, well then, being an exception, like, yeah. welcome to the United States, welcome to I, like I've met, you know, n nutty people in Canada, and Canada, I yeah. think it was kind of the most normal humans, yeah, right, like very polite, yeah, yeah, they're they're polite, they you know, and you get in with the right crowd, you'll enjoy hockey and Molson. And uh, it's all good, you know. Like that's the extent yeah. of it. Heavy metal music, right? I mean, I don't know. That was yeah. That was high school and uh, college, but <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, no. I think all the cold countries, it's big heavy metal for some reason. I don't know, something about being locked inside. Or... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you, you got some good Scottish metal while you were there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Tell me about, you know, the Arabic pieces that are, what like, if I look at them, they look patriotic to me. They look patriotic American, right? The Eisenhower's Elephant, for example. You know, what's the text behind that? And what... Like it's obviously Arabic, not English, right? Yeah, yeah. So that one's just a quote by Eisenhower, um, and he's describing. He's saying, you know, if you know, if there was a, a political party that wanted to was talking about getting rid of Social Security and the social safety net and these welfare programs, then you know that party would cease to exist. And and it's like, okay, there's a Republican president saying that, and then yet we look at our current situation and that's kind of exactly what is happening now so he made this sort of prophecy but it it didn't uh, come to play at all so I mean I just thought that was a really interesting quote by Eisenhower that um, who I thought was one of our better presidents so um, yeah I mean and I still want to do the cross of iron speech or quote at some point but uh, just haven't gotten around to it I think those are two of his more interesting quotes uh, and that's an Arab like that's in fusha which is you know like the standard arabic for those who don't know uh, listening um it's not in a local uh, yeah so that one's in in fusha yeah um and typically if it's um i mean if it's something that could be translated into fusha I, i'll always do that um whereas like i did a janice joplin piece a few couple years back of, uh, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My, my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Um, and so and it's the stallion of Stuttgart where both Porsche and Mercedes are made. Um, but in that one, I put, you know, I translate it in Fusha, but it's not really a text that, I mean, you can't really say that phrase in Fusha, like, won't you buy me? You know, I must make amends. These are not, I mean, it, so in that one, I actually, it's translated both in Amiya Lebanese and then and and once in Fusa. Um and so and then it the text is written maybe four times in the horse, but the the Fusa's drawn in uh, what they call jelly diwani and then underneath that the Amiya is in Rukka diwani. Uh, so just to differentiate between the the styles of writing, but um but yeah, that's the other thing with Arabic is like I mean, you realize how impossible it is to really translate the full meaning of something. I mean, like I'll usually go to two or three different translators for every piece just to make sure, um, and they'll never translate something the same way. And so then I'll send the, send them back the other one's translation. It's like, well, you know, what connotation does this give it? And, uh, I mean, there's a, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me that we, you know, we put so much emphasis on the King James Bible, but then, you know, that's been, Okay, that's translated from Latin, from Greek, from Aramaic. So, you know, it's like there's, I mean, I wonder what meanings were, you know, I mean, there's so many things that are literally lost in translation. I mean, that's, I guess that's why that's a phrase. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or, or totally like um, reimagines, right? Like our word, our name, James, you know, yeah, in yeah. English is ultimately um, Aramaic and he- Hebrew, Yaakov. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. There's a, but there, there's a phonological process that gives us James and it makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, like if you follow the, the chain of custody, you know, across languages yeah. and time. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> in the I meantime. Used to work in this, I used to work in a used bookstore um, and they also had some of these rare old books and they had a, I mean, it, it looked like a, like a witch's spell book. I mean, it had these like metal clasps on it. It was, you know, this big leather bound book, uh, but it was a breaches Bible. Uh, and so they, and they call it a breaches Bible because like when God first, you know, when Adam and Eve first feel ashamed in the garden, they go and, you know, they, it says something that they prepared clothes for themselves. But like in this translation, it was, oh, they went on and they went and put on breaches or breaches. <laughs> uh, so their translation was just, okay, that's how we, Clothing these days is britches, so they, they put on some britches, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, I guess, there, yeah, there's many ways you could read that. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it, it and uh, it, how, it, how it moves, you know, with its nuance, you know, over yeah. time, like, uh, 
now we might laugh at a word like that. <laughs> yeah. Know, the, the britches. Um, but going back to uh, this propaganda discussion, I mean, it's always fascinating to me that, you know, we'll translate the same phrase from, from Latin or from, you know, into these words in Latin that have become like common parlance, like literature and propaganda. But the same words in Greek, which literally have the same meaning, is, is scripture and evangelize. And so it's, you know, propaganda is to spread the good news. And, you know, to evangelize is to spread the good news. And it's literally, we, if you translate it in, from using the Greek word, it has a very positive connotation. You know, to evangelize is to spread the gospel. And, and you know, and scriptures is just, you know, writings, but it's holy writings. Whereas literature is also writings, but it's... It's not sacred, you know, <laughs> and uh, whereas propaganda is has yeah, a very negative connotation now, but it also means spread the good news. Uh, yeah. So, as a spiritual linguist, I wonder if that's a that's something that's very amusing to me that we could have these literally verbatim translations from the same meaning, but it's a very opposite context almost, or not necessarily opposite, but yeah. What do we do with you know words like haram and and um... Kaddish, you know, or um, Kudus, yeah. Kudus, you yeah. know, in Arabic, yeah. like one, they both mean to keep something separate, you know, yeah. to, and keep something uh-huh. separate, what, like, well, don't touch it, don't touch yeah. it, why, because it's bad, well, because it'll hurt you, um, yet, and of course, in Jerusalem, you know, the, the well, sanctuary yeah. is a Haram Sharif, right, yeah. and so uh, you get some of that that older you know it's separated because it's a it's a sanctuary it's a holy site in the same way that holiness in in Qadish or um Quddus, you know aramaic versus arabic um it, it, keeping something separate keeping it away yeah. well why i didn't know that for something yeah. good for some you know for a good purpose to make it special yeah yeah make it yeah. special and um like uh our polynesian word tapu where we say taboo is the same word. It's the same connotation as holiness. Like you don't touch it because it's tapu. It's not for you to touch. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So, oh, it's taboo. I'm not going to touch it. it. Right. And now we're like, oh, we, that's things you don't do. Um, those are yeah. taboo. Well, no, like it's, it's sacred. And things you touch at your own peril. Is right. You're, success. you're in the yeah. profane world and you, there's something profane about, you know, like mixing sacred and profane that you don't do. And so we have these words that have these dual meanings. We should like, that's its own podcast, right? Like there's enough uh, worth exploring just in, um, you know, how we, how we yield to nuance over time. And, you know, like what seems to be, um, uh, what seems to connect with the society more, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. what's used in what context and, um, and why is that the case? But yeah, I, I, I dig that myself. Um, just looking at your stuff. I really love the animals that you've, you've done. I mean, you've got the tiger, you've got this bird flying. Um, what was it called? Feruz's, um, uh, Feruz's werewar, which is, a uh, in English, I think we'd call it a bee eater or a maropidae is like the Latin name. Uh, so there's a song like uh, like fly away young bee eater bird and uh, like fly to my relatives ask them how they are and give them news of me basically so it's this uh, yeah I mean it's a famous Fairuz song that I just picked the one and again like I, this piece I mean I knew I I needed to do something from Fairuz and it was just looking for ideas and uh, you know, really just reading through lyrics and seeing what stuck. Um, and yeah, cause even if I'm listening to Feirouz, like in the, in the souk or out and about, you hear it a lot. Um, but I, it's, I'm not really listening to the meaning. I'm just listening to the sound more than anything. So, um, yeah, it's not like a, I mean, just, if I listen to an English song, I mean, there's a certain, you know, the meaning is what, you know, or the words are what gives it meaning, I should say. Whereas in, yeah, most of the Arabic music I like, it's more about the the sound or the... The melody. Almost the nostalgia, yeah. Yeah, um, a buddy of mine ha- has a similar um, issue. And um, unfortunately, he was called on to DJ a, a church function. And um, 
you know, like he didn't listen to any lyrics and he just put on sexual healing and that, that went over real well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, he's just there whistling along to it, not really thinking about <laughs> Yeah. The context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's cool, man. Um, do you have a favorite piece? I mean, I think your Welsh flag is, you know, fantastic. Uh, oh, it's you. not colored though. Do you choose, like, is it an ink issue? Um, and with prints, can you like in, in digitally color things? Have you ever thought about this stuff? What's. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're right. Yeah. It's black and white. And, and the first color piece I ever did, uh, was the Lebanese flag actually. Um, and I, and I've worked in color, but I wouldn't make prints of it. Um, whereas when, and that's largely why. So, I mean, I, I might make a color original, um, but all the prints that I sold are in black and white. Because early on, especially when I lived in Scotland, um, you know, I didn't have access to really good printers or good Jiggly printers that I could afford at least. So I could only afford to print in black and white. Um, whereas now there's, I mean, Lebanon's got excellent um, printers. So, I mean, I, um, and part of it's also the editing. I mean, just because you scan an image it's not necessarily going to look exactly the same. Um, yeah. Whereas if it's only black, you know, you can really keep all the meaning there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was only until I, um, you know, found somebody that I really trusted that could edit the colors to make them print the same way that they, um, that they look when you see the original. Um, and so now, yeah, I'm not quite as, uh, I will do work in color, but it's still, yeah, I mean, black is still the, still my favorite to work with. Just, I mean, it, because it prints reliably, you know, there's not going to be nuance in the color. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's still my favorite. And even, even my printer that, who, the guy that does my editing. So, I mean, he, he gets money off, you know, editing the colors, but he's like, I don't know why you do this in color. Like this, your black stuff's way better. <laughs> and, uh, which, yeah, it, it's still the, you know, it's more authentic in a way, you know, calligraphy was, you know, the, the true calligrapher's ink was actually collected from the, the lamps in the mosque. So they, they'd take all the, the soot from the top of the lamp, this, you know, even in non as calligraphy circles, they call it lamp black or bone black because it's the ash from burning fats or bone, um, or, or just, you know, lamp oil in the case of the mosque. So they'd collect all this soot and then mix it with gum arabic uh, and then the the liquor and everything uh the silk uh and that's so i mean it, yeah the black ink is kind of the most sacred in a way i mean i'm obviously not collecting it from you know the lamps in the mosque but that you know black ink still carries that connotation in a way um, yeah. and it's the most dense pigment um because with Islamic calligraphy, when you're using the wooden pen, you really can't put that much ink on the paper. It's not a very wet uh, pen. I mean, it's, it's quite a dry nib. Uh, so b black ink will still look very, very black, even if it's the thinnest layer of ink. Whereas once, I mean, once you start using colors, you really gotta, um, I mean, you can, you can make them dense, but a lot of times you'll have to go back and kind of pool the color on a flat surface. Uh, so if I'm working on wood, I'll, I'll do everything with a calligraphy pen, but then I'll, I'll go back and actually uh, apply like a very watery layer of paint that's like wherever it's wet, the, the paint will actually spread itself. So I'll, I'll keep the, the surface totally flat. I don't work on anything vertical just so that um, just to get enough pigment to stay on the canvas or on the on the board uh, to get the, the vivid color out. Yeah. Well, how do how do we commission your work or how do we get a hold of, you know, your prints? Um, you know, what's the way to connect? Uh, I have a website. It's just everett.org, uh, E-V-E-R-I-T-T-E, um, and .com too, actually. I guess I have them both now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sell any prints that I still have in stock. I, I sell on, on the, my website and uh, I do take some commissions, but there's a bit of a waiting list for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, write me. Have, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, very cool, man. Well, I'm a fan of your work, and I hope a, a lot of people um, get a chance to see your work too. If you're listening to the audio podcast, go ahead and um, check it out on YouTube because we're going to have 
the images, you'll get to see what we're talking about yeah. as we're doing it. So um, I want to thank you for joining me today. You know, there's a, a lot I learned and thank a lot to, to talk about uh, still, you know, and um, I yeah. think this is one of those, you know, science and arts forms, um, the, the calligraphy that, you know, maybe other, uh, maybe it happens in other languages, maybe traditions develop, you know, um, in mm-hmm. ways they just haven't. But I think, you know, when, when words can start dancing on a page, and, um, you know, I think you, you once said words sit, start singing, right? Like, yeah. you know, through the visual. Um, that's really, you know, where calligraphy kind of separates itself from other art forms. So thank you again. And, um, you know, we'll keep in touch because I want to I wanna see the stuff that you're producing. Yeah, my pleasure. And, th- and thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. Hope we can do it again. We shall. And that's it. Thank you.